Good morning. I'm Riley, and this is Lifestyle Tucson, a program where I speak with nonprofit groups and organizations, finding out how they serve our community and getting updates on current projects. For the first portion of today's program, I'm sharing a recent conversation I had on Zoom with Boys to Men Tucson Mentoring. I'm speaking with Michael Brasher. I'm the CEO of Boys to Men Tucson. I found out about Boys to Men a couple of months ago through Angel Charity for Children. And I would like to start off with the basics. Will you tell me about who and what Boys to Men is and how long you've been operating in the Tucson area? Boys to Men really started about 10 years ago as a grassroots response to kind of a community problem. There was a group of single moms whose sons were becoming teenage boys. They were changing, their relationships were changing. And so they reached out to some of the men in their own community and said, you know, we we need y'all to step up and support our boys while they're making this transition. And that kind of group of friends, they started to put together these weekend retreats And they were really trying to model it off of a rite of passage experience that's gone on in a lot of places and times for teenage boys in particular. And so they grew, they had a lot of success and impact doing that, and they entered the school system. It's really just been in the last five years that it's kind of emerged from just a grassroots volunteer thing to having staff with funding and now trying to really build out Um, a professional nonprofit that can address sort of the issues that are going on around fatherlessness and toxic masculinity and teenage boys who don't have, you know, really quality relationships Mm -hmm. with older men showing up for them. Sort of the core thing that we do now, we run weekly talking circles throughout the school system with screened, trained adult volunteer male mentors and teenage boys. So it'll be three to four adult men for every 10 to 12 teenage boys. And and we're in about 20 schools and community spaces right now. Um, We were in juvenile detention before the, before COVID locked out volunteers. And so that's really the the core of our program. We still continue to do um, rite of passage adventure weekends, and we do monthly uh, sort of hiking trips, adventure outings, we call them. And just really the, the whole point is to create opportunities for boys and men to spend regular time together where they can let down their guard, be vulnerable, and ask for help. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of building off this, because you did briefly touch on it, can you explain to me a bit of the reason why there needs to be this focus on mentoring boys and young men? Like, What types of societal issues do you feel can be remedied long-term through a mentoring process like this? Yeah, right. There's this this proverb that we say a lot, which is that if the boys of a tribe aren't initiated, they'll burn down the village just to feel the heat. And I do think that that's a really good metaphor for a lot of what you see in in our communities today. So if you look at issues of school shootings, gender-based violence, sexual violence, substance abuse, you know, um, depression, suicide, all of these things are way disproportional rates for teenage boys as a group. And even just the achievement gap, you know, in mm-hmm. school and, and how folks are doing in school, what's really clear, there's a lot of research that shows that the way that we're raising boys today, sort of the rules and norms that they get about what it means to be a man, coupled with sort of the intergenerational cycles of absenteeism, a little boy grows up without a man in his life, and then he becomes an adult man who's also absent. Those things have really coupled together to, I believe, create a crisis for teenage boys in the U.S., and, and we definitely see it here in Tucson, and, and you know, it's why you see a lot of gang activity. Mm-hmm. You see teenage boys 
who don't have a community that's holding them and giving them a strong identity. And so what they do is, is they initiate each other Mm -hmm. and they hold each other and they give each other an identity. And so our work is to really wake men up to say, Hey, this is y'all's business. And if y'all don't show up for this, it's not going to go right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, Let's go over some of the types of programs your organization offers. Like I was looking online and I saw site-based mentoring, adventure outings, challenge adventure weekends. Can you tell me just a bit more about those different programs you have? Yes. The site-based mentorship is really our core program. It's a very high impact program. We know that a student who sits in a school-based circle every week for a year on average is going to see their grades improve by 25%, decrease in absenteeism, disciplinary referrals, increasing graduation rates. It's what we know too, right? It's about the hierarchy of needs. You know, when folks, when young people have emotional needs that are deeply unmet, they don't care about math. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's all of us. Right. And so what we do is we go there on campus. We usually bring food. We train these guys and every single week at the same time for an entire year, a handful of caring, trained, skillful mentors are going to sit in this talking circle with a group of boys. And there's just a couple of real basic agreements they, they make, like it's a confidential space. They, they make it a really safe, high trust mm-hmm. space. And the main thing we train the mentors to do is to hold space. Don't get in there and give a bunch of advice. Don't get in there and try to fix these boys and tell them what's wrong with them and tell them what they need to do, but create space for them to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and to explore how they're really feeling. And our belief, right, is that there's nothing, our our youth aren't broken. And if if you hold space for them to explore how they're feeling, they can often sort out what they need and what they want in their lives. That's the core of what we do. Like I said, it, it, it's an incredibly high impact program on the campuses where it's at. But then we also just want to create other types of opportunities for young men to get in that healing relationship with nature. So we do a lot of hikes. We do a lot of wilderness things. That's the adventure outings. That's a monthly sort of less structured, less intense time where all the mentors and young folks can just hang out and do something fun. They went to a hockey game, for example, in December. So, you know, it's just really trying to find some quality time. And then once a semester, we do these adventure weekends, which is much more intense. It's three days. It's a a sort of a camping trip. And it's very focused on, you know, what is the man you're becoming? Who is the man you want to be? What are the barriers? What do you need help with to become that person? How do you ask for help? So it's, it's a very focused kind of retreat that helps them to get really clear about who they're trying to be and what they need. You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm Riley, and I'm speaking with Michael Brasher, CEO for Boys to Men Tucson Mentoring. It's interesting because I recently had a conversation about how, you know, telling someone what to do and like writing a prescription for a problem doesn't necessarily get you results, but when you allow and teach someone how to grow and make those decisions for themselves, it will actually make an impact in that individual. So will you tell me more about what it's like to become a mentor and some of what uh, the process of becoming one and then what the active mentorship is like? We have a tremendous demand for our program all the time. There's a waiting list of schools. And the only thing that keeps us from really scaling this program throughout the school system is just the we need a steady supply of adult men. 
the mentors are really the most important part here. So, so what we do, we ask everybody to go through a one-time training. We uh, actually just completed one this last weekend. You take a Saturday and really go through a reflection process together as a group where you just look at your own teenage years and really connect to that teenager you were and remember in your body what it felt like to be vulnerable, to be excited, to be in that time period. And then, and then connecting to what were the things that actually helped you from adults and what were the things that didn't help mm-hmm. you, right? And, and when, when adults can really connect to that in an authentic kind of way, it's not hard to then go spend time with young people and give them what they need. And so that's a lot of the mentor training. What's good about Boys to Men is we don't do one-on-one mentorship. And so it takes the pressure off. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we always are doing group mentorship. So no one person never has to have the answer. And so once you go through that, you know, we'll, we'll put people through a background check, we screen them. If you're able, what we want you to do is commit to sitting in a school circle for a semester or for a a whole year. And we will pair you with mentors who have more skill, who have more experience when you're brand new. And you'll just spend every single week for that, you know, semester or school year sitting in circle with the boys. And the thing that we really train the mentors on Again, it's, it's about holding space, not trying to fix or correct the boys. And so it, it turns it on its head, what we think of as like mentorship or, and leadership. And, and so what I often will tell um, men is the most important thing that you can do for the youth in your circle is walk in that day and be honest about how you're feeling in your life and take off the hat of the guy who knows stuff, the guy who has answers dad, husband, boss, employee, and just be a person on their journey in life. And so the way our circle works is is everyone in the circle is equal. And so just show up and just share your truth for the day. Hey, the truth is I got in an argument with my partner this morning and I feel kind of remorseful. And that's like, a, that's, that's a healthy, authentic thing to share with a group of teenage boys on a given morning. And then as you show up in your vulnerability and authenticity, then the young people are going to follow suit. And then it becomes really powerful. Um, and, and so I think I can say pretty safely from my own experience as a mentor and with all the mentors we work with over the course of a year, it's a very healthy, life-changing, mm-hmm. transformative, empowering practice because you're practicing wonderful things for your own self, but you're doing it in the context of young people who are having their life changed by the work you're doing. Mm-hmm. Definitely lots of room for personal growth within the mentors themselves Ooh. as well. Um, so I read that, that Boys to Men is a, a qualifying organization for the Arizona Charitable Tax Credit Donation. Can you tell me a bit about how Boys to Men uses donations from the community? What I appreciate about uh, Boys to Men, and I had worked a little bit with Boys to Men before I became the CEO, so I was familiar with with what they do, but because it's a volunteer-driven organization, dollars go so much further with mm-hmm. Boys to Men. You know, a lot of nonprofits, which is okay, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but because staff deliver their programs, you're paying for every person that's Mm -hmm. working to deliver that impact to the community. Well, our real work is just a handful of staff training hundreds of men. Um, And so the costs are relatively low when you consider the the children that we're impacting. And so uh, we depend heavily on the Arizona tax credit. You know, of course, it's a really helpful way to keep your tax dollars in Tucson Mm -hmm. and and decide how they're going to make an impact. And so what we really focus the Arizona tax credit dollars we get are the program expenses of bringing food to the circles. We bring a lot of pizza to the mm-hmm. teenage boys. They love pizza. And so we bring it, it everywhere. Sense, yeah. <laughs> um, 
We, we use it for background checks uh, for the mentors that can't afford to do a background check. We use it to, to fund the trainings that we do with men. And then the last thing that we really use it for is to fund our uh, wilderness adventure weekends. Mm-hmm. So it definitely just goes directly back into the work you are you doing with boys to men. Uh, well, is there, is there anything else you would like to share about your organization before we start kind of wrapping things up here? What I want to say is, is boys to men is one part of a community-based response, but what is more important than boys to men, the organization is just that our community really wakes up to the issue. It's about doing prevention work, which is easy to neglect in our lives, but we always regret it when we Mm -hmm. do, right? There's a a Frederick Douglass quote, which is that it's easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men. And I think when you look at a lot of what's been going on in the United States lately and in our own communities, it's really clear that we as a community have to show up and do something for the young men who are becoming the leaders in our community. And so so I guess I just want to say, you know, what Boys to Men is really trying to do is our part to foster a movement to take responsibility for having the children, the communities, and the futures that we want, and to feel empowered like we can do that. And so whether it's being a part of Boys to Men or finding other opportunities in your own community, what we need more than anything is a wake-up call amongst the grown men in this community to say it's not it's not even enough just how I'm raising my own son. It's all the boys in this community need me as an adult man to show up in my capacity with love and service and commitment and to just be there for them on their own journey. And that when we begin to do that together, we can change a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I really like how you put the emphasis that these boys aren't broken. There's nothing wrong with these individuals. They just need to have that pathway shown for a better future. Uh, So um, will you just share the best way for people to get in contact with Boys to Men Tucson, whether to make a donation or they would like to become a mentor or just want to learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So I would encourage folks to visit our website, which is btmtucson.com, as in Boys to Men, btmtucson.com. They can also follow us on Instagram. It's just at Boys to Men Tucson. So our whole name is as one word, at Boys to Men Tucson. And just want to throw out there too, that we have some scholarships that are available for men who want to become mentors, but it's a financial hardship. You know, we, we know that it costs money sometimes to volunteer. A lot of times when you look at the demographics of who volunteers, it's folks who have resources. And so we do have scholarships available to pay folks that can't afford it, but want to participate mm-hmm. because right, everybody should have access to this work. Um, and, and so they can learn about that program or anything else that we're doing just by uh, visiting our website. Well, Michael, was there anything else? I think that's it, Riley. Careful. I super appreciate you making time today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. That was Michael Brasher, the CEO for Boys to Men Tucson Mentoring. For the next portion of today's show, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse. I'm speaking with Ed Sakwa, and I'm the CEO at Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse. I would like to start things off today with finding out a little bit of background about Emerge who you are, what you do, and how long have you been operating in Tucson? Yeah, so Emerge is uh, this community's domestic violence service provider. We're the only comprehensive uh, services for domestic violence survivors in Tucson. We try to be as close to all things, to all people as we possibly can, knowing that we're it. And so 
we've got a 24-7 crisis hotline, an emergency shelter, community-based services for, for folks who don't need a residential component to their help, but still need things like assistance navigating the legal system or um, connecting with other resources in the community, having support groups, safety planning, emotional support, all of those kinds of things. We've got a small housing program as well that helps people connect with either transitional or permanent housing. We do programming specifically for children uh, and for the parent who's trying to support their child through this process. We also have uh, services for men who are using abusive behaviors, who are trying to make a change in those behaviors. So we try to cover that whole spectrum. We've been in this community since 1975. Uh, it was previously Tucson Center for Women and Children and the Brewster Center. Those two agencies merged back in 2008 and became a merge. Something that has really much really come to light in recent years is the risk of isolation. Um, yes. So we think of the shutdown, stay-at-home orders, and recently I think of the great resignation that you see and read about because so many women are leaving the workforce because they don't have proper childcare available right now. And when you're living your life behind closed doors, you may find yourself in a domestic situation that you know isn't right, but you don't necessarily know exactly what's wrong. And so I would like to take some time to kind of go over types of domestic abuse and how to identify an unsafe relationship environment. Well, I think you touched on one of the most critical factors facing us at this time, which is that, that piece of isolation. That's always a risk point for domestic abuse survivors. It's, it's a very common tactic used in domestic abuse situations where the abusive partner intentionally looks for ways to isolate their partner, whether that's things like geographic isolation, moving them to a community or an area of town they have no support system or friends, um, whether it, it's isolation in the sense of sometimes going to their work and causing them to get fired um, so that they have to uh, leave that support network. It might be being really mean to the, the, the person's friends or family so that they don't want to come around, all those things that help that person control their partner by having less uh, outside influence and less um, supports for that person to turn to if they're going to try to do something different. And then you add on COVID and that isolation that we've all felt as we've quarantined or, or you know, tried to, to socially distance in a, in a more macro sense. And it means that, right, people are even more isolated than ever before. And, and you talked about the shutdown or the um, uh, stay-at-home orders and things of that earlier on in the pandemic. What we actually saw was, even though every indicator from folks we were speaking to suggested that levels of abuse, rates of abuse were up, the calls to our hotline uh, fell through the floor. They just fell off substantially because people didn't have the ability to reach out for help while they're at home with their partner. They didn't have that freedom or privacy to be able to try to connect with help. And so it really emphasized the point you're making, which is the more that people are isolated or at home for whatever reason, whereas most of us have kind of retreated to our homes for safety from, from the spread of a virus, other people are locking themselves in with the greater risk, which is their abusive partner. So it really is a, a substantial issue. And it, it then becomes important for the rest of us who are who serve as the support system, friends, family, neighborhood, coworkers, to actively reach out and try to keep connected with those folks so that they are a little bit less isolated. To your point about not knowing what to do, 
or even being able to identify, is this abusive or not? And that's a, a key piece. Um, and our hotline, by the way, is there not only for people who know they're in a domestic violence situation and are in the middle of a crisis and needing to flee, we are there for that as well. But we're also there for folks who are just contemplating, trying to figure out, is this abusive? Is or And if so, what the heck can I do about it? So we encourage people to reach out for, for all of that and we can talk through the particulars. Because unfortunately, you know, there's there are many types of abuse we can talk about. There's physical, sexual, financial, emotional, verbal. But what it all comes down to is that it looks different in every situation, every relationship, because that abusive partner is figuring out which tactics, which forms of abuse they can use that will get what they want. What the common theme is in all of those cases is control. And so if, if you're experiencing or see somebody experiencing a situation where that partner is exerting some form of control over their lives to dictate what they do, how they do, when they do, whatever form that takes, that's part of abuse. You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm speaking with Ed Sakwa, CEO for Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse. Can you tell me about some of the ways Emerge helps? in getting people out of a domestically violent situation? Well, the first thing that we do is, is help people to understand that it is not their fault, mm-hmm. to help people understand that uh, they, they get to drive the bus here. They get to decide what the next steps are. We're not gonna tell anybody what they should do or shouldn't do. It's really uh, something that each person has to make their own decision on. Some people choose to leave that situation, others do not. And we're here to support all of the above, to help people be as safe as they can in whatever situation. So if they're staying, how can they be as safe as possible staying? If they're leaving, how can they be as safe as possible leaving? Knowing that leaving does not mean automatic safety, Um, that it's really up to that abusive partner to decide to stop being violent. Leaving that situation does not mean they're gonna stop being violent, but it can create additional safety. So it's, it's figuring out the nuances and the, the particulars of that situation. What our job is, is really to help that person then see what options they have, see what resources exist through Emerge or elsewhere in the community that can support them in being as safe as possible in whatever decision they're making. If they are choosing to leave that situation, that relationship, um, that can be one of the most dangerous times for people. And so we want to do a lot of safety planning around how can you do that in the safest way possible? What kind of steps can you take and how can you be prepared for that? And when they're leaving, that often means leaving behind important income. It means leaving behind stability. Uh, It might mean leaving behind any kind of housing option. And so then our job is to also help them identify what that might look like for them, how they'll be able to financially um, support themselves, keep a roof over their head for them and their children, whether that's through Emerge or not. Um, and then thinking about, you know, what are their goals? What do they need? What, what's next? And how can we support them in doing that and, and accompany them on that journey so that they don't have to do it alone? So I had read something on your website that I would like to hear you kind of explain a bit further. Domestic abuse is a community problem, and we believe communities are the solution. Can you expand upon what that means? For sure. You know, for a long time, the approach to dealing with domestic violence has been organizations like Emerge providing services like we've just spoken about. And those are really important, and they're all after the fact. 
Mm-hmm. It's only once somebody has already had to suffer through the abuse that they then reach out and can get the services that we offer. And the reality is that will never end domestic violence. It just helps after the fact. And what we want to ultimately get out get at is how do we put ourselves out of business? How do we make it so that nobody needs anything after the fact because it's not happening? How do we actually prevent this thing? And the reality is that does not happen from services like Emerge. We can't arrest our way out of it. Like none of those things will actually stop it in the first place. Our belief is that the root cause of domestic violence and all gender-based violence for that matter, not that domestic violence is exclusively male violence against women. Um, It happens in um, same-sex relationships. It happens where um, women are abusive towards men, absolutely. However, it is critical for us to just be real about the fact it is predominantly far and away a male violence against women issue. And all of gender-based violence is often rooted in belief systems and socialization, the way that we are taught to believe about very rigid gender roles and about what it means in particular to be a man and how I need to show up to be accepted as a man. Those kinds of things and what we as a community tolerate in terms of behaviors, things that we consider to be jokes, the objectification, particularly sexual objectification of women, the dehumanization of women that often happens, when we accept that, we perpetuate those belief systems that suggest that ultimately, if I happen to be abusive towards my partner, it's all right. Those kinds of belief systems and those kind of things that when we make jokes, we as men in particular make jokes about women being sex objects or women being lesser than, we laugh it off as if it's some kind of funny thing, but it's ultimately teaching all of us that this is okay. And when it leads to violence, then we shouldn't really be surprised. So all that to say, if that's the root of it, it's also the solution to it, which is if we don't want to see violence perpetuated against women, then we've got to start thinking about women and men differently. And we've got to start thinking about what manhood means differently. And so that's, we got to stop tolerating things, stop laughing at those things, start teaching our children different things. All those are the ultimately the solution that ends this mess. Well, before I let you go, will you just share the information of how people can find out more about Emerge or get in contact? with your organization. Absolutely. Uh, The best way that people can get information about what we do, uh, educational information about domestic abuse, ways to volunteer, ways to donate, um, all of those things can be found at our website, which is emergecenter.org. And if anybody is experiencing abuse and wants to reach out to have that conversation just to explore, to understand, or is in the needing immediate help with something, we hope that they'll, they'll do that too. It's available 24-7. Uh, it's multilingual. Uh, and it is uh, a number you can call anytime at 795-4266. And if you are a friend or family member or coworker who cares about somebody who's experiencing abuse and you want to know how you can be helpful to that person, um, you can also call that hotline at 795-4266 and get some support on how to deal with that particular situation. It's never cookie cutter. What's helpful and create safety for one person can actually create risk for somebody else based on the dynamics of their relationship. So it's always important to reach out and get some help figuring out how to be helpful uh, without accidentally creating some more more risk for that person because it can be difficult. 
I really appreciate you taking this time to have this conversation with me and sharing this great information. Thank you, Riley. We appreciate your support. That was Ed Sakwa, CEO for Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse. And the website again is emergecenter.org. You've been listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm Riley. And if you are part of a nonprofit group or organization that would like to be featured in an upcoming episode of the Lifestyle Tucson program, you can reach out to me by email, publicaffairs at azlotus.com. That is publicaffairs, all one word, at azlotus.com. For more information on the show or to listen back to something you may have missed, go to the Sunday mornings page at mixfm.com, kfma.com, klpx.com, or espntucson.com.